HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Southern Peanut Growers, committed to making sustainable more attainable for chefs and cooking enthusiasts worldwide. Today's guests join us from the restaurant opening soon that you haven't heard anything about, Uh, but will undoubtedly be talked about, I'm sure, once the secret gets out or it opens, whichever one comes first. Uh, The Norwick is an elevated neighborhood restaurant focusing on delicious food and warm hospitality set to open in New York's West Village this spring. And it's been intentional that they're keeping it under wraps, so we're excited to get a little sneak peek behind the scenes. Helmed by a team of EMP alums, we have Chef Andy Quinn with us today. Welcome. Yes, welcome. And Cedric, who was the wine director at EMP for many years, and I'm sure we'll hear the story about how you guys came to get together on this. So we're excited to hear what you guys have been working on so cryptically that... Literally the only thing we could find when we were like, let's, we always do like a little bit of background research and whatever before the shows. And the only thing we could find was your liquor license application for the community board. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks very much for having us on. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I guess it is kind of semi-intentional, right? I mean, and there's also like, you know, we'll go over this a lot, I'm sure, but this is the first time we've ever done this. And, you know, what is the right way to do it? And we don't want to just start shouting about us opening a restaurant because there's so many variables that we're not set you know we, we didn't know for sure we were going to do it until very recently when you know the lease was signed and everything else and you know you've got to kind of be strategic about these things in the digital age i think with how information gets out so oh, i like it i like it yeah. yeah so it wasn't sort of it was semi-strategic we're not sure yet yeah if it's successful it, it was totally yeah, strategic. Exactly. if it's yeah. not successful yeah. it was by accident yeah. um, no i think pre- press is a funny thing yeah. and it, it's a thing that you need to work on and yeah. be focused on i think our conversation was that because the timing of opening can be so ambiguous due to a lot of different factors you don't want to lose a lot of your upfront press sometimes six months before you open yeah, because true. you just don't know when you're going to open and so we've tried to hold everything as close to the vest as possible um for as long as possible and now okay. yeah and now we're hiring mm-hmm. um so you, you can't be a total secret once right. we're hiring so that was the second thing that came up was culinary agents listings yeah shout out to alex chang there is there is and i and i wish i knew his name to give him the proper shout out there's one investigative journalist from like the <laughs> village sun or some, yeah. some yeah. newspaper I I local. Yeah. Yeah. found our community board app 
right. application and actually like wrote an article. Yeah, he wrote the name, exclusive. Our name. This is the only one that was like, yeah. And the only one that was like, he had some facts wrong. He did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. But he's the only person in all of food journalism that's been able to figure out that we're opening a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if he wants to be a food journalist, someone should hire him because he's clearly <laughs> doing research yeah. that no one else is. Yeah. I so. love it. Um, all right, well, we're gonna, I wanna hear about the food and the concept and everything. We're gonna cook a little bit. Mm -hmm. So tell us what we're gonna make first. Okay, yeah, so uh, I'm gonna cook a really simple dish today for you guys. Uh, it's gonna be uh, akin to something we're gonna be opening the menu with. Uh, it's going to be asparagus, which is banging season right now, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, as with spring opening. Um, a lot of focus for the food at the restaurant is going to be very uh, super seasonal and as local as possible. Um, so this dish is a really straightforward preparation. We're going to poach the asparagus very slowly in salted butter for a long time. We're not going to boil it in the butter. We're not going to fry it in the butter. It's just going to be very tender. Um, and then we're going to wrap it in lardo. Uh, heat it up a little bit more under the grill, and then we're going to make a sauce, uh, which is basically like a carbonara sauce, uh, a Roman pasta sauce, and we're going to garnish the asparagus with the carbonara sauce. I like my vegetables covered in fat. Yeah. yeah. It's another yeah. good reason yeah. for being under the radar a little bit of your opening, because your hyper-local menu that with asparagus on it that opens <laughs> in August. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. authentic, right? Yeah. So. so tell us about where did the name come from, and where is the space? So the space is located on the corner of Bleecker Street and 7th Avenue. So we're right in the center of the West Village, um, which is awesome. Um, the name, the Nordwick, actually comes from uh, a naming exercise that we did with uh, another one of our, our partners, Bridget Zhu, um, where she said, you know, if, if you want to figure out what to call this restaurant, because we had no idea what to call it, which is like almost a little embarrassing. but. Um, we looked into the history of the West Village, we looked into New York restaurants, um, the history of New York as a whole, um, which a lot of our design language, we're looking back to tradition to, to, to keep the, the restaurant relevant. We didn't want to create a restaurant where it was hyper-conceptualized or it was very fixed on what's cool today because those places just go out of fashion in like two, three years. Um, so as we were looking back, um, we came across this anecdote about when the Dutch first settled Manhattan in 1623, 1624. Um, I mean, as everybody knows, they, they settled on the southernmost tip of the island, which is Fidei. Mm -hmm. um, and then as the settlement grew, um, they designated an area of that settlement specifically for trading livestock, growing crops. And it was where the settlement sustenance would come from. And it was the northwesternmost point of their settlement. Mm -hmm. So the Dutch for um, northwest or north village is Nordwijk. Um, so it was colloquially known as the Nordwick, that's where they would go to get their food. Um, and that area of that Dutch settlement um, today is exactly where the restaurant stands in huh. this village. So it's kind of ties in. Yeah. And the idea is that it's a neighborhood restaurant. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. Is there any Dutch influence to the restaurant and the menu? Uh, I think no. the name is where it starts and ends. Just the name. Yeah. yeah. And so how long have you been working on the project? Uh, Andy, lo longer than I have. I think we we kind of came together beginning of August uh, of 2021 and um, decided to do something together then. And then everything, you know, for better or for worse, went really fast. We sort of August. agreed to, yes, to partner up. And, less than a and year. Do, oh, yeah, yeah. This is fast. Agreed to partner up. Um, Andy had been looking at spaces for a long time prior to that. <clears throat> and then um, 
for happenstance and, and I think just having two of us giving energy to it um, from, from basically September 1, things just went like really fast. And there were times where, you know, it's like very like herky-jerky and yeah. things would be like, you know, in a week, things would advance like a ton and then nothing would happen for like three weeks. And right. then a week later, like a lot would get done. And, and I feel like we're still in that place now with construction and, you know, hiring and, and like all those things. It's, it's still like that. Like some, some days I wake up and I'm like, man, we didn't do anything last week. And then at the end of uh, the next week, I'm, I'm like, oh, oh my God, we just like, yeah, we're done. Like, Let yeah. me tell you, nine years into our business, I still feel like that sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, holy shit, this week kicked my ass. And I'm like, I feel like I didn't get anything done. Right. Ah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit, Annie. We talked before we went live about the early stages of like working, trying to get something off the ground. Yeah. Feeling like it wasn't going to happen. Because that's, I think it's a common sentiment for a lot of people that they have right. an idea, want to do something. and yeah, I had an idea that um, I wanted to do something. Actually, it was actually Cedric. Um, obviously, we worked together at Love Madison Park for a number of years. Um, I had a lot to do with the, the pop-up restaurants that uh, Love Madison Park did in, in the Hamptons and, and Aspen. Um, and it was actually when we were in Aspen, Cedric introduced me to someone who is now like probably almost one of our most prominent investors. And um, he wanted me to be his private chef originally. Um, and then I cooked for him a couple of times. And in that, in that meantime, he found a private chef and he said, Hey, look, you should open a restaurant. We should open a restaurant together. I'd love to invest in you to open a restaurant. And this would have been 2019, the start, right at the start of 2019. And so, you know, I had this very successful businessman who's also involved in other restaurants that have done very well telling me, Hey, I'm going to invest in you. You know, I'd never experienced anything like that before. I was like, wow, this is incredible. So that kind of gave me the, the confidence. To, to believe that I could do something. Um, leaving 11 Madison Park um, and then trying to actually do something, realized that I had no clue what I was actually doing or even what I wanted to do. And, and so it really started from like nothing and, and going through the process of like being totally overwhelmed with everything that you could possibly be going through. Uh, and almost luckily, it didn't really get anywhere because then obviously the pandemic hit. Um, have, have you put together like a business plan and all I know, no, not yeah. even not even that far. Not a pitch deck, not a business plan. I had a faint idea of what I wanted to do. Or I, I wanted it to be in the West Village. I wanted it to be like a neighborhood restaurant. But, you know, I didn't know how much money I needed or, you know, what the space was going to look like. Or, Basically, you, know, you had like one guy who's like, I'll give you some money yeah. when you get there. And you're like, cool, exactly, quit my right. job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, the, that's the hard part is... You know, we work. You work in restaurants for a long time, chef, or in the dining room, and you don't. You never really see what it's like to open your first restaurant because no matter what it is, even if you go on to open a second project, there's invariably someone there that's done it before. Mm -hmm. That's sort of like things just get checked off because once you've done it once, you sort of just just like, now, just now, right? mm -hmm. and and there's mm -hmm. not really that many resources of people who are there to like help people like us kind of like get our footing and the resources that are there often are cost prohibitive. Yeah, that's um, why we started the show. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's part of it. Because unless you're in a restaurant yeah. that's, you know, three people deep, you're not going to be exposed to all those things. Yeah, you're exactly. going to be an accountant or a, right. somebody that's taking, you know, unless yeah. you really force yourself into that situation to say, show me what you're doing. Totally. And there's yeah. been times where we've just been blindsided by like costs of things that we just like totally just weren't ready for. It didn't, it didn't, not even not ready for it. We just in didn't the, know they existed. In the build up. Tell yeah. us about what the, I mean, tell us what those things are. What have you learned that no one has told you that you wish um, you knew as first time restaurateurs? Well, a lot of things we kind of like, we flew by the seat of our pants a little bit. Um, you know, 
we've got obviously a lot of friends and contacts in the industry. And so we reached out to, I think first Hannah Bowers, who had done a lot of work with um, delicious hospitality and we're like, hey, can you put together a, um, you know, like a P&L and like give us an idea of what an opening budget should look like and that kind of thing. And so she gave us one and, and so we just trusted it and we took that and we're like, okay, that's great. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily relate to what exactly we were doing. So, I mean, there was a ton of things. Luckily, we gave ourselves enough breathing room with the budget, we think. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like IT, we didn't have anything in the budget for IT, um, which had to be totally redone in the whole space. That was $14,000. You, know? you got to buy a computer, yeah. you know, like right. just things that, and, and you know, some of the things, some of the decisions that we're making potentially aren't the, the wisest financially. Like you, we can do IT ourselves, like, right. you know, in theory, but I don't want to be in a position when the restaurants open where we're like figuring out how to get the Wi-Fi back up. And right. so we've sort of outsourced that. Um, That's actually, so we were at a restaurant the other night, I'm not going to name who, but they had like, they had, it was like three weeks they old. They had IT issues. They had IT issues. Yeah. And like, we like got there at five because we have young kids and like, we couldn't figure out how to connect the, like the sound system. Yeah. And so it was like, a whole, yeah, it was not a good experience for the sound system for the first 20 minutes. But yeah, so that's important. And, and you know, and, and, and then we learned some things and, and I tried to convince our, our IT company that they, there's like a real business model that they're missing. They, <laughs> they set up our account with, with Spectrum for us and we like negotiated with Spectrum, which Cool. No, that was a thing. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you know, are the different prices? Yeah. And, and so we, I got an email one day being like, all right, special will be here on Thursday and set up your Wi-Fi. We've negotiated no setup fee and first month for free. And I was like, what? Cool. Sometimes um, those things can pay for themselves. Yeah, it's, it's, exactly. That's the point. And, and when someone else is doing those things that are super important, ideally they're doing them better than we would do it ourselves. And then we can focus on other things other than figure out how to have Wi-Fi, which mm-hmm. is not our expertise by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think IT was one of the one of the big things. And, and to be fair, since you named her, I think Hannah did an amazing job. <laughs> she did, yeah. She, and no, she like, crushed it. We we still use that budget, and we're still like on it. And you know, I, I think that is one of the biggest advices that I would give to anyone opening a restaurant or opening any business: figure out how to like get, even if it's not accurate. For real life, a budget that's written out that gives you, you know, what you can spend, how you, you know, like the whole thing, what you need to raise, like all of it. Um, her giving us that starting point was really crucial just to figure out what we needed to raise. Yeah, it gives you an idea, but it doesn't, at the same time, there's a million things that could yeah. go wrong that right. like, totally don't fit into that at all, yeah. you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Tell us about raising. You mentioned yeah. that you had the initial investor that believed in you, are there other people that you, how'd you find the rest of your... your Yeah, um, I mean, that was was a total trip. I mean, the first thing I'll say about that, which was the kind of, the thing that I think will stick with me, and, you know, I'm sure Cedric as well, I can speak for himself, but um, being in a room and pitching to CEOs and leaders of industry and, you know, Fortune 500 people, all these kind of guys, pitching a business to them and you know to me and to Cedric it's like this is our dream and this is our restaurant and we really believe in this you're pitching to someone that's making a business decision you know 
more often than not, some, a lot of people do it for passionate reasons and a lot of time they do do it for passionate reasons, but you very quickly realize that you're sitting in front of someone that's done this their entire lives. Yeah, it's much better, totally you know, it's much better yeah. than you do about yeah, yeah, yeah. it. You know the questions to yeah, ask. And, we did not yeah. go to business school yeah. and I've never done this before and now I'm sitting in front of the CEO of this giant company. And How many trying, pitches did it take you to get? I think I pitched with probably 50 people. Wow, and 50. how many investors did you end up with on your cap table? Uh, now we have 18. Which is I mean, that's a lot. That's a that's a high percentage of yeses, to be honest. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. Were there pitches you walked out and said, "Yeah, we fucking nailed it," and there were, were there yeah. pitches we walked out and said, "Man, we." There's ones I walked out of like, "Yeah, we fucking nailed that," and then we got a no. Oh you know, really? Yeah. 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 And, and I, I think one of the hardest parts is you need to get a couple people on board mm-hmm. to sell other people, whether you tell the other investors their names or not. Like there was a couple investors. They were like, this person's in, we're in. Yeah. You know, and, and that. And then did you land that person? In our case, we did. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, what's, it, it's interesting what, because I think Andy's totally right, like when you're pitching hyper successful, at least in our case, the most successful people in the world with long distinguished careers, or in some cases short, but very distinguished careers, um, they are both making a business decision. Like I think if you show no returns or, you know, questionable business practices or whatever, they're going to say no, but they're also investing in us personally. And mm-hmm. so we had personal relationships with a lot of our investors, some much more than, than others. Um, and they're, they're choosing to invest in, in you as a person. And so, um, I think our, our history and the way we've interacted with these people is really important. And I think Andy and I have conducted ourselves very professionally our whole careers and so all these relationships that we built over over our careers came in and you know like the way you and I don't, I don't want to say the way you dress but the way you carry yourself anywhere you go and you never know who you're going to meet who you're going to talk to and how that relationship comes back around you know six years later mm-hmm. you know three months later is, is, is really important um, if you ever think you're going to own a restaurant um, as a dining room person or as a chef, I think, you know, you should always think about that no matter where you go, because we're, we're travels and people talk and, you know, you go to one person's house and you do a private dinner and, and you act like a moron. That's like a potential investor. You've, you've like literally eliminated from your, from your pool, including all of their friends. Um, and, and so I think Hopefully, everyone in our in our professional crossings will will say this, but I, I think one of the things that I love about working with Andy, and that I, I I'm very proud of in my career, is that we've always acted really professionally um, in in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, we'll take a quick um, quick break just to catch up. Sure. Those of us that are not watching on video and listening, <laughs> Andy now has about a pound of butter. How much better was it? So they're going to taste amazing, but tell us about what you're doing. Uh, so we're just basically almost confeeding this asparagus uh, very, very slowly. Uh, Fun, very well. Yeah. Yeah, this is straight butter? So this is straight butter. Okay. Yeah. Because you have something else in the other pan. No. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is going to be uh, pasta water, actually. Oh, pasta water. Yeah. Yeah. So the sauce of this asparagus is going to be a carbonara sauce. Um, yeah. Now at the restaurant, will you save and transfer this asparagus butter so that it becomes like more and more asparagus over time? Or like a master stock, keep like adding to it, like a sourdough? Yeah, like you would That's save. That's a great idea. Yeah, maybe it will. Maybe. It can be like the mole from... Uh... Totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, from Cosme and Fujol. 15-year asparagus butter. I like it. 
this comes up a lot, the idea of just going back to like the investors and like the network and it comes this, it comes up a lot on this show. So I'm curious, you know, I, I know we talked a little bit before when you were starting about how did you, cause it's great when you get in the room with those people, but how do you get in the room with those people? Tell us a little bit about how like the fundraising has evolved over time for you guys. And Yeah. I mean, um, similar to what Cedric touched on a second ago with, you know, putting yourself across the best you can, if you're yeah. having a room with those kind of people, um, I started doing the private chef thing um, as a result of leaving my last job and then needing some income, um, but then even more so because of the pandemic and there was no restaurants to work in, um, I started to cook for people regularly. And I kind of told myself, because when you cook like that, I never took a, a full-time job with a single family. It was I didn't want to get tied down to five days a week, whatever it was, flying to Miami, whatever, to cook for these people because I knew in the back of my head I wanted to be doing this restaurant. So. It was more casual um, offers of like, hey, can you come and do my daughter's birthday on Saturday or whatever it was. Um, and when you do that, you don't know when the next paycheck is coming. You know, you don't, you have no no set income. Mm-hmm. So I told myself at the time, I'm not going to say no to any 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 offer. You know, if I have to do back to back days and go from here to there, like I'm going to do all of it. Um, which had its benefit because you know it kept money coming in, but it also put me in front of a lot of people. Um, and you know, if you do a good job, which I try to make sure I did every time, then, you know, you're in the good graces of those kind of people. So a lot of those kind of guys would say, what are you doing? And this and that. And I told them I was trying to open a restaurant and a few of them would say, oh, let me know. Here's a business card. And I'd like to get involved. And, um, it kind of came from there really. Um, it was one family in particular that I cooked for in the summer of uh, 2020 during the pandemic. Um, I was full time with those, those guys for three months. Um, and they had a lot of people come dine with them every night. I would cook for them, 10, 12 people every night. And a lot of those people were like, wow, you know, this is great. And then as this, as, the, as, as it went on into the next summer as well, um, there was another couple of little friends of theirs who came to, to eat quite frequently um, and got really, really interested in it and said uh, that by that time we put a pitch deck together and I had an idea of what I wanted the rest of it to look like. Um, were you? Part you guys of were already involved yeah. at this point. Not yet. Not, so, yet. not yet. Yeah. So, so this is in twenty. This so, is in summer of twenty twenty one. Part yeah. part of the founder story is through our friend Bridget. Um, Andy was looking for some firepower for his pitch deck at that time, and we we had a conversation, and he was like, "Can I put you as, as a beverage person?" And at the time, I already knew I was going to go back to Lemon Massive Park to help reopen post pandemic. And so I was like, I was like, of course, you can definitely use me. Just make sure it's very clear that I'm a consultant and that I won't be working at the restaurant because, you know, you, you never know whose eyes are going to land on a pitch deck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've seen pitch decks in my life that I definitely were definitely not meant for me. Right. right. So I know that once you once you hit send on that email and the deck it's is out there in the world, you don't know yeah. where it's going to end up. So um, and so I, I was, you know, we we would always sort of kept in touch and definitely <laughs> flew in, in really close circles. I think that that EMP family is very tight and we still see a lot of the same people mm-hmm. and, and talk to people. Um, but, and so I, I was in the original pitch deck mm-hmm. uh, that, that Andy made and, and saw it and, you know. So it was out there in the evening. It was yeah, meant to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, and, and when I when I went back to, to reopen EMP and, and make it nice in general, um, the, the thought was very much, this is going to be like my forever job. I, I went back as the director of operations, not the wine director anymore. And I, I was very much like, if this works, I'm going to be here for a really, 
the same amount of time that I was there prior. So, you know, another decade or mm-hmm. whatever, whatever it would have been, or it's going to be very short lived and I'm going to have to figure out what to do with my life exactly. pretty, pretty quickly. Um, clearly since we're in this room right yeah. now with Andy cooking, it was a ladder. Was a ladder. Yeah. Um, and, and so, um, I reached out to Andy, like I said, beginning, beginning of August, um, you know, three, four months after I started and was like, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking about my next move and, and whatever. And if you're looking for a partner, you know, I'm, I'm in for that. And so, so you'd already seen the deck, you sort of knew the business yeah. plan. And so you're like, I'm ready. You know, one of and, and you, you talk about, um, how to get to where we were to where we are now. I, I think one of the advantages to working at a restaurant like EMP and, and in, in my mind, there's actually a lot is you work with so many talented people mm-hmm. and, and it sort of pre- provides an impasse, right? Like I could never work with a chef that wasn't amazing. Right. And, and luckily I've worked with a lot of chefs that are amazing and, and fewer, but a lot of that are also amazing people. And so, um, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I knew that my network had both of those, the two non-negotiables, amazing people and amazing chefs. Um, and so, you know, knowing, knowing Andy to, to me, if he was willing to, to, to take me on, it was a no, it was a no brainer for sure. And so like, you said yes. It's like a little, it's like a dating story. Yeah, yeah, I totally, love it. Yeah. It's like, you he always me? wants to be with me, really. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it, was, it was meant to be. It was meant to be. I love it. The founder story is always a little bit like yeah. dating. So then at this point, so you joined up in, in August, right, of 2021. That was yeah. the timeline. And you were basically halfway funded by that point, mm-hmm. had the business plan, the pitch deck. Cedric's mm-hmm. name was went from consultant to partner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And by that point, I think I probably uh, toured. 35 spaces that were possible. Um, possible 35 restaurant. spaces. Yeah, easily. 35. And how, what looking, was, oh, go ahead. Were you looking everywhere? Were you looking for I was focused on the West Village. Um, and then as it, like things were drying up, it was kind of crazy because there was this mad market in 2020 yeah. because of the pandemic and everyone closing down. And, you know, landlords were giving all these great deals on, you know, take this space and you get a year's free rent or, or whatever it was. And then um, that kind of turned like really, really quickly. Yeah, really I remember really, really fast. Because mm-hmm. um, everybody sort of got hit to the idea. Oh, yeah, we can get like, yeah, really like, let's get in, for yeah. once in our life. Exactly. Yeah. Why so, West Village? West Village to me was somewhere I was always attracted to. I think um, you know, low level. Um, there's a lot of good restaurants in the West Village. <clears throat> Everybody wants to eat in the West Village. Everybody, you know, whether you're going on a date night or your parents are in town or whatever you are like people want to be in the west village so great restaurants are always booked out and there's an overspill so even the terrible restaurants are busy <laughs> <laughs> you, know? you guys so, are not going to have a terrible I restaurant so if, you know if we're not even that good we still be kind of busy <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but i mean it's always spoken to as it's kind of a romantic thing and it's got the village feel and i don't know if it's being from england that kind of reminds me a little mm-hmm. bit like home and you know cedric often says it's kind of like New York City's neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, that's where people, mm-hmm. you can go there from, from anywhere in, in the city. Um, so that's where the search was focused. And um, as things started kind of drying up, then I was looking down towards Tribeca and Soho and even the East Village and, and that kind of stuff. And yeah, we saw a lot of places that were, that needed an insane amount of work. And, um, you know, talking about funding and us not knowing what really, you know, exactly what we were doing at that point. Um, it's kind of scary when you see some of those places and think, yeah, I could do this for X amount of money. And now knowing that it would have cost four times that if we'd signed a lease at the wrong space. So 
we got very, very lucky with the space that we have. So tell us a little bit about the space that you have and what you've had to do. And I've heard there's 38 burners and no plancha. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I think we didn't really have non-negotiables. It was more like a like a dream list and and sort of things that we were hopeful to have. And we, you know, if there was 10, we got seven of them. We we would have been really happy. Um, You know, when you're starting out funds are, you know, you want to be really careful with the money you have. And so having a place where you have to turn the gas off presents a variable that if, you know, if people know our history, specifically the EMP, or there's a, a documentary where the gas is, it's very dramatic. Um, you mean turning but, it off to like change like, it? And then yeah, Con Ed has, has to come put it back on. Right. And, and it, you know, it's very much like a liquor license. You get on, on the schedule and- Could be six months. Yeah. They come turn it on when they're ready, right. not when you're ready. Right. And so that was like a big thing is if we can find a space where we don't have to turn the gas off to renovate and then turn it back on, um, you know, filing building permits, you know, if you have to like really renovate a, a space, there's like step of department buildings, you, have to, you know, so the fewer of those things we had to do better, you know, I think, you know, finding a fully kitted out kitchen wasn't even something that we like really thought about, yeah. but ended up being being the reality so did it come with like a key money price tag to it or it did come with a key money price tag. i know that there was like a very brief period where landlords were willing to even give that away just to get people to take spaces you know i I think in in hindsight in a different era or different time you know we could have waited it out and and rolled the dice that someone else wouldn't have paid the key money or but I, i think that it was a good enough deal i think we paid market value for, for mm-hmm. like, I think, I don't think it was a deal, but it was a good enough deal that. Um, Were you able to negotiate that piece or no? No. <laughs> no. no. It no. was made pretty clear, <laughs> pretty quickly, <laughs> that there was going to be no negotiation whatsoever. Did you guys have somebody that was helping you through this process or was this all? Yeah, you know, we, um, yeah. it's actually one of the things that kind of really made a big difference when Cedric came on board is when uh, Cedric introduced the restaurant to Keith Durst. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, FOC. FOC, FOC yeah. Hospitality, yeah, Which, who, you know, shout out Todd, uh, totally crushed it. Um, and they actually wanted us to do, they, they had us in mind for this project in Hudson Yards or something. Or, yeah, outside, right outside of Hudson Yards. Yeah. complete opposite. Total opposite. Uh, I mean, they were like, you know, you guys with your resumes and your experience, you, you crushed it's it. like 7,000 square foot restaurant. Yeah, yeah, but it's very nice to start small. small. I mean, well, that's yeah. what we wanted to do. Yeah. And, and we met with, uh, with Todd, his uh, real estate guy. And um, Todd was going to take us up to Hudson Yards to show us the space. And we met him at a coffee shop on Bleecker Street called uh, Rocco's Pastitria. And as we were telling him, like, this is what we're looking for. And he's like, no, I'm going to take you guys up to Hudson, Hudson Yards. You can check out the space. And as we were walking up Bleecker towards the one train, we passed by the loyal. And he said, oh, by the way, this place is going to go out of business. Like, we don't think it's for you guys, but just so you know. And we were like... Hang on a You're minute. Like, why is it not yeah. for us? Yeah. <laughs> what are, yeah. what are you trying to what's, say? What's, what's, this is kind of perfect. You know, it's on the corner. Well, this is the answer to why it was not for you. I don't know if you ever got an answer for that. Wrong, wrong, side of bleaker, uh, wrong side of 7th Avenue. So he didn't think you know, it was a good it, Yeah. Location. You know, for... It's not a long run, though. The Loyal was there for a decade. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. it was there yeah. for like three years. Yes. Oh, three four years? Yeah, maybe four years. Why was it there for so much longer? Uh-uh. Okay. Never mind. Yeah, I think that part of Bleecker Street, like it really changes once you cross 7th Avenue and right. it really becomes sort of the heart of the West Village, Bouvetta's right around, you know, right. it's just like, it, it kind of changes. And when you see what's on the block now, like it, it definitely seems less appealing. I have a theory 
which hopefully proves to be correct, um, it's easy to say that at this point, that in, in New York City, in Manhattan specifically, location isn't that important. Um, I, I think accessibility is important. Accessibility is important, I agree with that. But people travel, you know, I mean, we can, we can name names like Estella, but it's yeah. not a good location, you know. Second floor, house in between Mont Mulberry. Yeah. No right. one pre Estella opening was like, you know, that would be location. amazing. Which one? Alto Paradiso. Paradiso. Yeah. yeah. Especially, I, I think the that neighborhood has changed like a lot now. Right? right, but when it first opened there, yeah. It depends on your yeah. customer. It's like, yeah. are you getting tourists that aren't going to walk around? Are you getting people yeah. that are neighborhood that want to be within three blocks? Or are you getting people that are coming because they've read about you? And, Totally. Even, even a restaurant like Carbone, you know, yeah. like I think McDougal is a cool block. Is it a block where you'd expect one of the most exclusive, expensive restaurants in Manhattan mm-hmm. to be? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would argue probably not. Yeah. Um, and so when we looked at it, um, we were willing to take the chance with all the other stuff that came with it. That mm-hmm. yeah, maybe that's not like an A plus location. It's certainly not an F location. No, definitely. Um, and so, so yeah, and and I think accessibility. I think unless you're coming from Tribeca or the Lower East Side, unless you're willing to take the train, it's really easy to get to. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether you're coming from the Upper West, Upper East, you know, Midtown, like West Village, like it's really sort of easy to get to. Um, maybe a little less easy to get home from, but easy to get to. Home from is definitely a challenge. Home from, I think yeah. in a lot of ways, too, that um, if you think about it, what makes a block well-known or location you know, desirable is the business to house it, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, taken with a bit of humility, obviously, but the idea is that you're going to do something that might maybe change the block, right, and mm-hmm. make, it, make it a destination spot. Tell us what, what's happening now. All right, so the asparagus is nicely cooked. Um, and this is lardo, lardo di colonnata. So it's the cured back fat from the pig. It's cured with rosemary, black pepper, and salt. And then it's left to, to dry for a period of time. It's beautifully white. It's beautifully white. Um, it's absolutely delicious. Uh, so we're wrapping the asparagus. We're wrapping the asparagus in the lardo. Um, we're going to flash this in the oven. And then we're going to make our sauce. Proving that not all vegetables need to be vegetarian. There you go. <laughs> I would say that this is a uh, high-fat veggie. Yeah. Veggie situation. Definitely not vegetarian. That's why I like my veggies. <laughs> yeah. Rid of bacon. Fat. <laughs> and so tell us a little bit about. So you got the space, and it, like you said, it's not an A plus location, but it's definitely not an F location. It's a it's a great location, it's a great location. for your for for this for the restaurant for the vibe you're going for. What did you have to do to it? Well, I think that's the other thing with, which made it so attractive is because compared to all of these spaces that we saw that needed gut yeah. renovations or they needed everything or, you know, we needed to build a kitchen or whatever, uh, this was the first space that we truly saw that was turnkey. Mm-hmm. If we wanted to, we could have been open, like, pending the lift license. Everything was there for us to open. So was the restaurant still active? Did you go in and say, hey, I heard that you... So when we first went in... Well, can we buy it from you? Well, almost, yeah. yeah. The first time we went in, we had to actually pretend to be the fire department. No, come on. Because the employees didn't know that the, that the place was getting shut down oh. immediately. Um, so we saw it, we're like, okay, the kitchen's here, like, we've got this full basement, the bar is built, we've got three walk-in refrigerators, like, we're probably not going to see another place that's right. that's as ideal as this. Um, and then as we got into the, the details of it, it actually made sense, we could afford it, it made sense with our budget. So that's when we decided to pull the trigger on it. Um, 
Obviously, we needed to change it. It couldn't be the same restaurant. They had like we all the wallpaper, the right? So it's not wallpaper, as we it's found not, out. It's not. It's painting. It's hand drawings. It's hand drawings on the wall. Yeah. Right. It was like sort of famous for these like food and like like naked people yes. with like food. Explicit carrots. Expli- explicit <laughs> carrots. Yeah. Uh, there so, there are two or three images that are still there today. <laughs> TBD, maybe it'll be like an Easter egg hunt. They'll be there. <laughs> They'll still be there when we open. Um, no, the, the, the majority of them, and I feel bad for the artists that came in and actually hand painted did them all because they, they didn't last nearly as long as, as they should have, especially for the amount of work it probably took. Right. So. I'm curious, did you get the business? Did you buy the business from the previous no, we business didn't. owner? So you no. waited essentially until they went out of business? How I don't know the finite details of it. It wasn't technically a key money deal. It was an access purchase, asset purchase agreement. Mm-hmm. So we didn't buy, we didn't buy the lease off of them. We started a new lease on the space. Um, so you bought the the asset purchase agreement was from the former business owner from the former tenant. And yeah. Lease yes. From the yes. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There are advantages to buying the business. Um, the liquor license you can is why. Buy the liquor license, yeah. but it's, you, you still have to transfer. Yeah, yeah you still have to transfer it, and yeah. you still have to go through the the process. And supposedly, it goes much quicker. It still has to go under your but names and everything. So Post pandemic, you also take on any liability historic in the restaurant, and I think one of our fears, although the restaurant tour is, you know, very, you know, I, even to say it makes it sound like I don't believe it, but extremely reputable, and we trust and and whatever. But you never know what's gonna pop back up. Who's you know what account never came to collection, and you know right. then they find out you bought bought the business, gotcha. and they come right. and, and try to collect. Right. So we so that makes sense. So fifty grand in debt you need to add to your exactly because you bought the business, right? right. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So don't yeah. do that. That's a good lesson learned. Yeah, yeah. you know, depending on the, on the business, and you know, if this was in twenty nineteen pre pandemic, you know, it it it's becomes a little bit less risky, mm-hmm. but you, you know, you never know who who didn't get paid, or what, you you don't you don't know what happened from March of 2020 to, mm-hmm. to when we mm-hmm. would we would have bought the business. Plus, a slip and fall comes in, and they find out that you you, you know whatever happens, you assume all liability, you all, right? And it's and a, that's a risky process. Yeah. So, I have, sorry, oh, go ahead. I have a, a chef question for Andy. You've been in private kitchens, mm-hmm. which I did for a time as well. Mm-hmm. It's a much slower pace. Are you ready to go back to? Yeah, I mean, it's taking me a while. I'm just saying, you want to ask a lot of It's a lot of work. Yeah. But it's just making me think that now you go back to this like super fast paced. Yeah, I know. You're totally right. Um, Are you ready? Are you nervous? It is very, very different. <laughs> Definitely not nervous. I think I'm ready. Yeah. Um, a good friend of mine, um, Eric Kwang, who's done very, very well for himself with this uh, fried chicken. Uh, restaurant picking house get, recently. Yeah, yes. Yeah, we gotta get there. Um, I've done a couple of pop-ups with him. Okay, so you're keeping yourself. To so try and keep myself in shape, but I will say, <laughs> yeah, uh, doing the uh, you know eight ten hours on your feet in the kitchen, it's not it's the same. Ball game. Yeah. But um, I'm really really excited to get back into it. You know, uh, I had a great time cooking privately. Uh, I was very lucky with the experiences that I had and the people I met. But it's just not the same as you know the buzz that you get in the kitchen and sure. the camaraderie with the other the guys on the line and leading the team and creating food that you know that you want to cook um and that's that's one of the biggest things you know that uh, you have to kind of realize quickly especially if you're cooking privately is you're not cooking for yourself when you cook privately you're cooking for whoever's paying you 
you know, um, whereas when you're in a restaurant, you know, you're cooking the food that you believe in and the food that you want, you want to cook more so. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to get back into it and, and, and get back into the group working in a real kitchen again. I think for my friends that are in the private business, uh, that were, were in kitchens, like that's the thing that they miss the most, you know, is the, it's the service, it's the rush, it's the camaraderie. Um, yeah. What about you? You ready to work a service again? Yeah, I, you know, I, I've, I've always really enjoyed working service, even though it wasn't a huge <laughs> part of my job for a long time. Um, yeah, I, I, I love the interactions with, with guests. And, and to, to Annie's point, that the team is, is everything, right? I, I think, you know, I had a really strong, I mean, amazingly strong wine team that I worked with at EMP that, that I loved. And, you know, we, we there's still a, a group chat that, that, you know, stays dormant. And then all of a sudden we'll like pop, like in. pop in and it's like 500 text messages for, <laughs> for 24 straight hours. Yeah. Um, Any poaching going on? Anybody going to jump ship? <laughs> you don't have to name me. I'm just curious. Yeah. That is, that is it's always a, a tough, that's a tough question to answer at any point. Even, yeah, no matter when this airs. Um, I think to what we were saying about, you know, always being professional and you never know who's going to be an investor. I think it's really important to always be your best professional self, because even if it's not in an ownership place, I think that that idea of your you, you should always create a network for yourself that of people that you want to work with and that want to work with you. Sometimes it's, it's the opposite, right? Someone will come poach you or you poach them, but having a network of people to work with is, is really important. And as you develop your career and become more senior, that is actually the sign, especially management, that you are a good manager, right? Like right. you can go someplace and you get hired as a manager and then you can hire two, three people to come with you at different levels of experience. That That's, a sign, that's actually the clearest sign that you're a good manager. Um, Poaching is like a dirty word too. It's really just like people that are recruiting talent. So, (laughs) So anyone who's worked with me long enough to to go to lineups when we've been short staff will know that I fully believe in poaching. Uh, (laughs) It is is a dirty word, but there's an entire entire billion dollar industry of recruiting that that's like literally what they do. And so you pay someone else to recruit to poach for you and that's like fine right. but when you're doing it yourself that's seen as like but also back to what you said earlier so. the reason you go work at these big, big restaurants is because yeah. you're in a group of people Surround that are all going to go probably and do totally. something interesting at some point you work you work you want to be part of it highest right? quality so. group of individuals and if you're not trying to think of working with those people again at some point, you're, you're making a mistake. You're wasting your time, yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, we're, we're going to pull from our network and see who wants to come join our adventure. And you, you can you can label that as whatever you want to label it. I like it. it. Um, I like it. And, but yeah, I, I think I, I, you never know what, what people really think. I, I have been a part of this wine brand for the last few years. You never know who your friends are until you have something to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the same thing. You never know who really thought you were a great employer or manager or coworker until you ask them to come work with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think we'll we'll be put to that test a little bit um, when when we start really fully hiring because you know that that's gonna be that's gonna be key. And um, no matter how good you are until you're you're out there recruiting, um, that's the test. So I want to hear what's going on in the pans. Okay. And then we'll talk about. Sure, yeah, okay, so the finally this virus is all wrapped in water. Um, really typical, like, uh, classic carbonara sauce, very, very simple, uh, like all Roman pastas. 
um, whole eggs, pecorino, pecorino romano, and uh, cracked black pepper. Um, we try to do everything with the food as local as possible. Um, there's some things that you can't get local, like these black peppercorns. Shout um, out to Burlap and Barrel. Shout out to Burlap and Barrel. These um, are Vietnamese peppercorns. You know, spices you can't get from New York. That's the one thing that we're not going to be able to right. get from New York, you know. Uh, but these guys are based out of Queens in New York, and they're very uh, responsible to the farmers, and their product's absolutely amazing. So very proud to be using that stuff. So the sauce is just whole eggs. Uh, it's whisked with some pecorino romano, um, the cracked black pepper. Uh, there's a little bit of pasta cooking water. Um, and then the row of skill here is making sure you don't scramble the eggs. So it's cooked very, very lightly. And then the asparagus. Uh, and then we should be almost there. All right. This episode is proudly supported by Southern Peanut Growers, who are spreading the word about peanut sustainability. As the planet's resources are strained to meet the nutritional needs of its populations, many responsible chefs are doing their part by sourcing local and sustainably raised food. Many are surprised to learn that peanuts are one of the most sustainable plant-based proteins available. Southern Peanut Growers created the campaign Making Sustainable More Attainable in partnership with award-winning chef Stephen Satterfield. Together, they're bringing the sustainability message to chefs nationwide, whether it's conserving water, minimizing fertilizers, or achieving zero waste, peanuts are a logical choice for your next menu. Southern peanut growers represent farmers across Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, and Alabama. For more information, visit www.peanutbutterlovers.com. Should we do, while he's finishing the dishes, should we do our quick fire? Yeah, questions. these are our questions we like to ask everybody. We're still working on the menu, right? So we don't have a, a full... We have a working menu. You have a working yeah. menu? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to speak these a little bit, but go ahead. First. Which, I mean, this is a hard one because I would imagine that you probably like everything on the new menu. When I <laughs> ask you what your favorite item is on... So, so everything is is more conceptual right now. I think um, the ethos of the restaurant is for like people coming together and having like a really fun dinner that that's casual. And so we're gonna have some some dishes to share. And I think seeing whether it's a whole fish or large format fish or um, roast chicken for two, I think those are things I'm most excited about because they'll really show at least. A, in, in our minds, in my mind, what is like the, the real ethos of the dish, which is just people eating together and, and having a good time. What wine are you most excited about? Uh, I'm excited about all wines. I, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to run a little bit smaller list. The list that, that I was in charge of at Love Madison is an encyclopedic version of, of a wine list, especially of sort of the classic old world and, and, and American wines. Um, I'm excited to like sort of take that sort of same focus, but really dial it down. Um, and I'm excited to see what, what people will drink at our, at our restaurant. You know, always be excited about selling some burgundy or some like really old Napa cab. Um, but I, I'm excited for that view to change depending on what people are ordering and drinking and I'm really excited to, to like show 
um, value. I'm going to plug myself since we're here and you can't stop me right now. <laughs> one of the things that, I, that I'm the most proud of of my time at EMP is that the wine list roughly had 400 wines under 100 bucks wow. on the list at any given time. And at, at that time, it was, it was gratuity included. So really like, let's say 100, under 100 bucks, yeah. it's like really 100 bucks. Yeah. Um, and so really, I think having those wines that I love that are relatively inexpensive to that will probably sell a little bit more, um, I, I think it would be really fun to show show those wines that, that I love. So. Cool. What about you, Chef? What are you most excited to cook? Um, well, you know, I, I think I mentioned earlier, we touched on the fact that we have an abnormal amount of space for the size of the restaurant we have. Uh, we have an extra abnormal amount of walking space, mm. uh, which is kind of crazy. I've never heard of Chef in New York I know, yeah, about yeah. having too much walking space. I'm definitely not complaining. <laughs> Um, so uh, we want to do a lot of dry aging in-house. Um, we want to have a good bread program. We want to have a fermentation program because we have the space to be able to do it. So uh, I'm really excited about that kind of stuff. Um, you know, in touching on the, the seasonality and the produce local to New York, um, although we're not quite matching the West Coast and, and, and a lot of the stuff, that's mostly because of the barren months in, in New York, you know, December and January, where it's, there's not that much stuff at the farmer's market. So being able to take a lot of the produce um, that you can get, you know, in the prime months, spring and summer, and then figuring out ways to preserve it, pickle it, ferment it, whatever it is, not to make that a big thing about what we do with food at the restaurant, but just being able to use those um, little touches to kind of heighten, heighten dishes in one way or another. Um, super excited for that. Yeah. Cool. What, um, also, we usually talk about food costs a little bit, but um, it's probably hard to do at the moment <laughs> and he's not, not quite and, there but i am curious what sort of give me an idea of, of how you feel as a customer walking in obviously your emp heritage you walk in in a suit and tie and it's a very formal you know thing that you probably booked six months ago and yeah. does a very expensive meal for yourself mm -hmm. who is the customer how are they coming in what are they going to i think that the idea of the restaurant is is to sort of is to be a neighborhood restaurant and and to me, a neighborhood restaurant is a place you go all the time, which obviously when you live in New York is maybe a little bit less if you live out in the suburbs because your choices are smaller, but you know, once a week, once a month, twice a month sort of, sort of situation. But real neighborhood restaurants are places that you go for your Tuesday night bowl of pasta and glass of wine, and then also to, to mark like important events and you know, whether it's you're closing a deal and you want to celebrate or it's your anniversary, I, I think a real neighborhood restaurant really does both of those things because it's a place where you feel a sense of ownership in the restaurant because you go all the time you, your favorite server your favorite table you know you're you, you feel like that's your bar stool and that's where you get to sit every time you come and so that that's the hope for for our restaurant is that people will feel that we're part of their life and they'll they'll like i said like go for comfort on a tuesday night but also celebrate big occasions and have our restaurant, our staff be be a part of that. So um, where are you going right now? I was just you feel that way. Yeah. Where you know? Um, I don't. I, it's embarrassing that I don't eat out as much as I should, and would would actually like to. Or is there um, something like that that inspires the way that you're approaching? Um, I, I think our, our my my and our inspiration is a conglomeration. It's like the Franken restaurant of like <laughs> I think I think a lot of people do certain things like so exceptionally well. And if we can do like those things that we really are driven to, you know, at like fifty percent of how well they do it, but also take something else that that restaurant may not do as well and do it as well as someone else, you know, like mix that those things together. Um, 
places that I that I go a lot, you, you know, I hate I hate to plug some a restaurant that doesn't need a plug, but you know, I, I go to Stella more often than I should probably admit. Mm-hmm. Sit at the bar. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's some cool places popping up now because you know all those places that went out of business unfortunately because of the pandemic and um, there's little things popping up here and there which which are really nice. Game, uh, which is just something like not far from us on Google Street. Uh, actually, a good friend of mine who's running that place, Ed. I think he's doing a great job. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting to see what's going to happen, especially in the next six months to a year, with you know people like us who are kind of taking a chance with with things that they can do. Um, I think New York City is one of the best places for that, you know? So yeah, super exciting. What yeah. advice do you have for first time restaurant tours after going through this experience? I mean, I don't know if we're in a position yet to, to give anyone, anyone some advice. I, I, you know, I think, you know, let's, let, let's, you know, we should do this again in, in a year and see, you know, both where what's changed in, in our opinions and, and also, um, you know, we'll have advice then. But I, I think the advice that, that I will give is that people should work. If this is what we're doing now, is in, even an inkling in your plan as a, as a restaurant employee, work someplace where you can meet people like Andy that will both inspire you while you're working together and you can learn from, but then also five, six, seven, 10, 12 years down the line, when you're really looking to do something on your own, you can pull for that network. If you don't work in places where you meet people like that, then you're, you're going to be out there on your own doing it. And I can't imagine having gone through this process without a partner um, helping along and having the knowledge that whatever's going to come out of that kitchen is going to be amazing and, and not have to worry about that as, as, as a thing so I always come um, off like solo founders and entrepreneurs and like I don't know how you can do it alone yeah, yeah I think it's it's always going to take longer than you think yeah, yeah it's going to take more money than you think yeah yeah and take all the help that you can get yep raise raise as much money as you possibly can <laughs> because no matter how smart you are you're going to sit around one day yeah. and be like you know I wish how much raised. more multiple wise did you actually raise versus what your first plan maybe said Twice as much, three times as much. Um, I think we did pretty well when it came to the raising. We were pretty accurate, but there was one space that, um, you know, right around the time that Cedric got involved, that I had my heart set on. Like, I was like, "This is it." It had a gorgeous frontage. It was on a corner, um, and it was the same amount raised going into that project. We would have been about two million dollars under. Two million dollars under. Yeah. We would have been in a bad place. So, yeah. We, uh, we wouldn't be standing here talking to you today. operating capital. Yeah. 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 Wow. I, I think Why is that? Because the space needed so much more work than I had ever anticipated. It wasn't up to code. How did you figure that out? Did you have an architect Somebody go look at it? Uh, we had a few people look at it who kind of gave that idea, but it was really the reason that we didn't pull the trigger on that space is because we, we came across the space that we have now, which was just, you know, turnkey, ready to go. Right. And, you know, keeping that in mind, that place was ready to go. You know, it doesn't really need a lot. And we're kind of just going to make it with what we raised. You know, it's incredible the, the economics of restaurants uh, when you really get into it and, and how expensive it is and how difficult it is uh, to be successful at it. All right, so we're plating asparagus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is the asparagus that's been poached in the butter. It's uh, wrapped in lardo. It's got pork fat. Uh, we're going to finish it with this carbonara sauce. Which is called the black pepper, uh, the pasta cooking water, and so it's basically, you know, it's asparagus, ham, and eggs. Yep. And cheese. Sounds delicious. Anything but basic. Anything but basic. Um, 
right. to life for. Last rapid fire, what's your best piece of business advice you've received? Or your best business resource, that's what we say. Business resource. Book. Podcast, book, show, person. Show, person. Whatever. Uh, you know, it's going to sound terrible. All, all of the above. You know, I, I think we, we've, we've tried to be as smart about this process as we can be, and we've turned to a lot of people, you know, like Hannah, who we mentioned before, who helped write our business model, um, some, of our, some of our investors obviously are, are successful and have been great resources. I think there's no, no resources in Porta. Um, yeah. Talk to everybody. That's what mm-hmm. I always say. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, everyone, no matter who they are, can be a help to help you be successful, whether it's learning the exact opposite thing of what you should do mm-hmm. and, and learning from that or reading a tidbit about management and, you know, finding, you know, and anything is, anything is having good role models, I think helps a lot. Cool. Thanks guys. Um, tell us how we find, I know that there's nothing on your Instagram account. But at least give us the name so that when people, when you are posting that they'll be able to know. Yeah. So look out for us. It's going to be called the Nordwick. Uh, it's going to be at 289 Bleecker street. It's on the corner of 7th Avenue South, 7th Avenue South (laughs) and uh, and Bleecker. Loud and broken today. Fingers crossed that we're opening, uh, third week of May. So late spring pending the liquor license. And we can't wait to welcome everybody to it. We're cool. Excited. We're excited to be there as well. We're excited to try this asparagus. Ready for asparagus now. Uh, for us, you can obviously find us uh, at TillitNYC at We Are Opening Soon. If you're watching, then you already know that we're on YouTube now. <laughs> if you're listening, you already know that we're on Heritage Radio. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Thank, Thank you. you. This show is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.